In this episode of Info Product Mastery, we'll chat with Bjork Ostrom about building a six-figure membership site, finding your niche, and audience building. This is Info Product Mastery, episode 13. Welcome to Info Product Mastery, the podcast that helps developers, educators, entrepreneurs launch and grow their online education businesses. Whether you're just looking to create a passive income stream or building a full-time living. I'm your host, Adrian Rosebrock. And today, we have a very special guest on the show, Bjork Ostrom. Bjork and his wife, Lindsay, are experts in the food blogging niche, running both foodbloggerpro.com and pinchofyoung.com. Together, they've built a six-figure-per-year membership site where they teach other food bloggers how to be successful running their own food blogs. Their parent company, TinyBit, also provides a number of WordPress plugins to help food bloggers create amazing content, including WP Tasty, Nutrafox, and Clarity. It's safe to say that if you want to get into food blogging, Bjork and Lindsay are the people to get to know. They have been tremendously successful in their niche, and I think a perfect example of how info product and online course creators can carve out a bit of the internet for themselves. Thank you for being on the show, Bjork. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Adrian. Yeah, we, I, I do a podcast as well in the food space. And it's always really fun for me to not have to think of like the next question that I'm going to ask. <laughs> so I'm just excited to like sit back, have a conversation with you and see if we can come up with some stuff that'd be helpful for your listeners. Oh, that's so great. I mean, I we were talking about this offline before we start recording, but I just love the story of what you and Lindsay have done together, building this yeah, business, thanks. getting into the food blogging niche. How How did this all start? Yeah, so years ago, feels like Pinch of Young would be a senior citizen in internet years. 2010, Lindsay started to get really interested in recipe development, not from a publishing standpoint, but more from a standpoint of like, we were newly married. She had gone from like making stuff for just her to like the two of us and would start to post things online occasionally, you know, just on Facebook and wherever. And I was really interested at the same time around all things kind of business and online business specifically. And we started to talk about like, is there kind of an intersection here where like Lindsay was really interested in the content side and everything that came along with preparing recipes. And and I was really interested in kind of the mechanics of building something online. I didn't know what it was, but it was this natural kind of pairing, both for us, like in our relationship and marriage early on, but then also what turned out to be a really good pairing for business where Lindsay was a great and still is a great content producer. And I was lucky enough to be able to work with her to have kind of that, you know, it's like the raw clay, then you can kind of form and figure out like, and this asset, what do you do with it? So 2010 was when we first started, I was working at a nonprofit and Lindsay was a fourth grade teacher. And between nights and weekends and lunch breaks, when, when it made sense, we started to work to try and figure out like what does it look like to build a blog in this case and you know it's grown to be more than that now which you kind of alluded to but it was it was yeah 12 years ago that we started wow so it kind of sounds like you you were kind of like this what i would almost call like a standard tech developer meets entrepreneur you're like i want to build something i I don't know what it is but i just want to create something and have it start making money and and running my own business, which I imagine a lot of a lot of the info product mastery audiences like they're they're developers, they're programmers, they just want to create and build, and they almost don't care what the topic is as as long yeah. as they could be successful while doing it. Yeah, totally. And 
I would say really accurate in that like people assume that I have some credibility when it comes to food or recipe development, of which I have none. Like that's just like, it's all credit due to our, our team and Lindsay, who does the day-to-day with recipe development and, and photography and video. What I'm really interested in, where I spend most of my time, isn't even really with development. Like we have developers that we work with for the, you know, the WordPress plugins, as a, for instance, or the other software products that we have. But for me, it's really like the mechanics of what does it look like to run a successful business and then also work with a team, which that's part of what we're doing now. But part of that too, which ties into the information piece is like the constant self-education and then public education of a niche. And so much of the success of an information product has to do with deep knowledge around a specific industry or niche. And so a lot of what I see my role as is continually educating and then myself and then using that to help educate others within this niche. So it's general education around things like search engine optimization or best practices around advertising or whatever it might be. And then folding that into our niche and, and, and almost like interpreting that for people. I like that a lot. You know, I see developers, we're too, too often, we just want to focus on the code because we like the code, mm-hmm. we're comfortable there. And I, I get all asked all the time, like, Adrian, where did you learn about marketing? Where did you learn about advertising? And I, I often find that developers, like, they want to, like, learn those things. At the same time, they're like, man, I could sell more content or sell more products if I just added this yeah. feature or that feature. And it's like, yeah, whoa, yeah. whoa, like, take a step back. Like, it's not in the code. It's really in the marketing and the advertising. What do you mean it's not? Like, the success? Yeah, ultimately, it's not in the code, yeah. Yeah, like, of course, you have to sell something, you have to have a product or an app in order to sell. But at the end of the day, adding one more feature, one more feature, one more feature, you know, ad nauseum isn't going to make your product successful. You know, you reach that kind of break even point where you have to turn away from the product and start giving your attention to the marketing side of things. Yeah. And what's hard about marketing is, and, and I'd be interested in your thoughts around this, or even for your general sense of the people in your audience. What's hard about marketing is there's no like concrete response that shoots you back. Like, here's how impactful it is to have a podcast. It's like you can see download numbers, you can get a general sense of how many people are following along. You get emails for people who are like, hey, this was really helpful and impactful for me. But it's not like you ship a piece of code and then you test it and see if it works or not. And I think that generally can be kind of frustrating, especially for people who are used to systems where that is more concrete. But yeah, to your point, like Clarity is the newest software, piece of software that we've been working on. And it was hard to say, you know what, like our focus for that is really going to be on marketing. Not only because there's always the next feature that feels like it should be built that will be helpful for people, but also because it, it feels like you probably are going to enter into that stage too early. Like you'll get there before you feel like you should. And you feel like you could always wait to like really push on marketing. Mm-hmm. But what we viewed it as is like a system as opposed to a one-time thing. Like how do we continually improve our marketing and how do we continually improve our product and working on those simultaneously as opposed to like either or. Yeah, that makes sense. There really isn't a 
a unit test or an integration test for marketing. Right. You just, right. It's, it's not like you write up this email campaign and then press compile and it gives you output as telling you whether or not it's going to work or not. It's like, right, it's, right. it's not like that. It, and unfortunately for, for developers, like that's, that's a pretty hard concept to grasp because you're so used to just shipping stuff constantly. And the world mm -hmm. of marketing, you really got to slow down and take your time and realize yeah, you make one little change or one little tweak, you know, swap out an opt-in, change an email campaign to make sales, you know, it could be a week, two weeks, two months before you mm -hmm. even start to see the downstream effects of those changes. And that, that for me was, that was a pain. That was so tedious to get used to. And another piece that's even more difficult because it's more abstract is audience building, which largely is, I would say, is correlated to trust building. And I think that's such a slow, long-term thing. It's building trust with an audience over time through multiple touch points. It's a lot of what we do, which is content marketing. This podcast is an example, like the version of content, which kind of falls in the category of marketing. And that's like a long, slow, but also deep. Like the roots are deep and like the tree is stable if you are able to develop an audience and establish trust with that audience. Absolutely. And you, you bring up trust, which I think is important because in the beginning, blogging can be really hard because you're not quite sure if you're in the right niche or not. And that if your content is resonating with your readers, how did you and Lindsay know that your content was resonating with your readers and that you had a found product market fit and that people were like, yeah, this is great. This is what I need. I think a lot of times we collective around like creators, marketers, you know, product people, like we have different expectation around when we should be successful than we would in other areas. And the example that I give is like learning to play guitar. Like if I think of, if I've never played guitar and I think I'm going to pick up guitar and I'm going to start playing guitar, if I'm not good in like six months, I'm not going to be discouraged. I really have this idea of like three, four or five years, you know, maybe eight years to really become a master if I'm playing every day and really focusing on it. And when I think of, conversations around product market fit or, you know, understanding content and the success of content or your ability as a content creator. I think because of the ease of creating content, meaning you can take a video and you can publish it online, that feels like a version of mastery. Hey, we've figured out the technology around creating a piece of content. That can lead to frustration though, because it seems like I figured this thing out. Like I figured out how to publish a blog post on a self-hosted WordPress site. Like for us, that was the thing, right? In 2010, we're trying to figure it out. How do we do this? We started on Tumblr. We transitioned to WordPress. We figured that out. But really, like the art and the, and the craft and the skill that you're developing is creating content that resonates. And that takes a really long time to understand what's working. And I think... Part of it depends on who you are. If you're somebody who's really analytical, I think what you can do is you can look at content that is, you know, you can go into Google Analytics and see like, what is the most successful piece of content? And why is that? We got traffic from Pinterest. We got traffic from search. Okay, where, what was a keyword that was correlated to that? You can look in Google Search Console and you can see like, great, I see this specific keyword has had success for this post. So you can be analytical. But there's also people who are less analytical and would be more on the on the art and science. And an example of that would be Lindsay. Like she's not going to go into my wife, Lindsay, who's the creator behind Pinch of Yum. 
what she'll do is like, she'll create a piece of content on Instagram and she'll look to see like, what does it look like if I post this story, the amount of people who are asking follow-up questions or the, the amount of engagement that I'm getting on this specific piece of content. That obviously means that there's something there. Like, let's look at creating content that is, is kind of similar. And so when I look at our story, a lot of what it was wasn't super analytical in diving deep on the data. There's a little bit of that. Like, hey, this post did well. Let's see if we can create another similar version of this post. It was more along the lines of what are we hearing from people that we're interacting with, comments, direct messages, around things that were really helpful. And an example that came out of that was Foodlogger Pro, which is the membership site that we have. So in building Pinch of Yum, one of the things that I would do is occasionally talk about kind of the behind the scenes of how we were doing that. Like, here's where we earned some income from this month and would write little recap posts. And there was a lot of people who came to us and said, can you talk more about that? I'm a creator, I'm a publisher. So it's kind of ear to the ground a little bit. And trying to be aware of when it felt like people were leaning in a little bit, like, hey, this is something that I'm interested in. And I think we all understand that, like, you could be at a party, and there's a conversation where suddenly everybody's really engaged. I think there's the same version of that, but online. And you can see that by how people interact, like, are people leaving more comments? Are you getting more emails about that? Are you getting more questions about it? Like, that type of stuff can be leading indicators for where you could go directionally with content to kind of snowball the success of, of what you're doing. But it takes a long time to get there, to understand and to get a read on that. You know, it's, it's years, usually not months. Okay. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I've, something I've said before on this podcast is that I think in order for you to be successful long-term and, and absolutely critical in the earlier days is this concept of reciprocity. Is you're, mm-hmm. you're creating content you're offering it to free. Maybe even you're offering your time for free. You're hopping on calls with people, asking, answering questions over email. And it kind of sounds like that's what you were doing on the side. While Lindsay was running Pinchy Yum, you know, you started yeah. Food Blogger Pro, you were answering the more business questions. Now, I think some readers would be concerned because you'd be like, man, am I, am I giving away the secret sauce? Am I like creating competitors by sharing, yeah. sharing our information? Like how did... Did you did that thought run across your mind? And how did you ultimately decide to say, you know what, it's worth it. I'm going to continue sharing this information. Sure. I think probably the answer to that is yes. Like, and maybe it was not a wise decision. <laughs> like, you know, that, that I think that could be a very real reality of, of coming out of it. But also, I think what naturally happens is with any industry, like, there will be that person. Like, and it could be you or it could be somebody else. And so for us, as we looked at this specific niche, it was like, great, we have this information. Regardless, there's going to be somebody who steps in at some point to educate, to inform. Let's have that be us. And and part of it is what you would see is, let's say, to use the plugins as an example. So we have a suite of WordPress plugins. You know, if there, what we saw is if we were using a certain plugin, people would say, great, how does that plugin work? And you'd get other people sharing about that. So you're almost advertising for a different, for another plugin, which is awesome if it works well and and you don't have a solution for it. But what we found is, hey, in certain categories, we're able to come up with a solution. So let's go ahead and do that because there's going to be a solution that comes up regardless. And if we're interested in being the answer to the question that people have, 
let's move forward with that and create a business around it. So that's a little bit of what Food Blogger Pro was. You know, you, we, we saw other instances. I don't remember if it was before or after. I think it was after we launched Food Blogger Pro, which is another site, Pro Food Blogger. <laughs> so it's like that being an example. And we eventually, it was just more of a content site that was published uh, and we eventually acquired it and, and just kind of folded it in. But that being an example, of like it's going to show up, it's going to, it's going to pop up. It's going to be, there's going to be those solutions that come up. And so for us, we said, let's go ahead and be the solution as opposed to somebody else being that. But yeah, I think there's the very real possibility that part of what you're doing is you're educating people who then could potentially be competitors. Sure. And then, and you know, to be honest, I don't think competitors is necessarily a, a bad thing either. I mean, at sure. the, the very least, it shows that there is interest in your topic. And yeah, that yeah. at some point, you have found product market fit if someone else is going to start copying you to a certain degree. Yeah. I would say the benefit there, though, is that unless that person is especially driven in that niche, unless they're knowledgeable in that niche, and unless they have at least some business experience or are willing to put in the nights and weekends to learn, they're eventually going to peter out. They're not going mm-hmm, to succeed mm-hmm. in the long run. And I think that's probably what happened with you guys is you notice, oh, wait, this other company, you know, they're trying to do something like us, but they're, they they mm-hmm. can't quite do it. They are, they're not as invested as we are, but they built an audience. They built a little bit of a product. We could just go acquire them later on down mm-hmm. the line when their interest stops to drop off, pick it up for pennies on a dollar, roll it into our right. own site, and boom, we've just increased our audience just by a simple acquisition. You know, when, when you're thinking of educating people in a niche or genre. Like if you look at Google Pro, I think the the best way that you, the best outcome for that would be like, you have a specific niche, but you have variety within that niche. For example, like you have a gluten-free blog or you have a, you know, Whole30 blog. You have all these different people in these different categories. There's a little bit more overlap in our niche where there very well could be somebody who sees Pinch of Yum, sees that that's being successful, joins Food Blogger Pro, and then kind of creates like similar to what they're seeing with Pinch of Yum. That's just a reality and something that we've not seen a lot, but I think can exist and is a consideration. I think that the ideal would be like you have a specific knowledge that could be applied across multiple different niches. It's like a niche that could be applied to multiple different niches. Information products would be an example where like you're teaching people about this specific thing that they can apply to their knowledge base, but their knowledge base might be specifically around unit testing and they want to teach other, they just love unit testing. They want to teach people about that. There's lots of different categories that could be applied kind of in the information space. So it's a consideration for sure. And I think it's a, it's a really good question and a valid question for people to think about as they kind of contemplate what their solution might be that they're not actually creating competitors by educating people around kind of a space that they're in as well. Sure. So you decided you wanted to create Food Blogger Pro. Was it initially a membership site for our audience, predominantly developers? If you could think back yeah. to you know, what it was like in those early days, what advice would you give to people who just wanted sure. to create a membership site? So what was nice is that we had an audience and that audience came from, so we had the food and recipe site, Pinch of Yam, and then I would do these occasional posts where I'd talk about kind of the business behind the scenes of Pinch of Yum. So we had an audience from that of people following along who were kind of curious or were actually doing similar work and wanted to see like, how are they doing it? Where are they finding success? Or 
where are they failing and how can I avoid that? You know, just learning from somebody else who's doing it. So that was a really important piece. So for anybody who's thinking about stepping into creating some type of information product, I think a good first step that is a light first step is to start audience development. Like maybe it's, I think pick your platform, right? So if you like video, you could do YouTube, you know, you could do quick explainer videos, or you could do a podcast, like whatever it is, start that audience development. That was really important for us. It was important because what we did is three months before we launched, before we had anything, we did a pre-sale. And I think they made maybe like $10,000 by pre-selling memberships to Foodblogger Pro. And that also allowed us to see like, are people interested to the point of paying for this thing? And what we did was a tiered pre-sale where if people bought within... There's three months leading up to it. If people bought in that first month, it was like a really discounted amount, like 25%. If it was in the second month, it was maybe 50%. If it was in the third month, 75%. And then we launched, you know, and it was regular pricing, which I think was maybe like 250 a year and 25 a month or something like that. So I think that would be one thing, you know, stop for people to stop kind of circling around. Should I do this or should I not? in regards to creating and selling a product in the information phase. But to start with just saying, I'm going to do audience development, knowing that I want, might get there eventually, that was really critical for us. And then from that point on, we continued to be and is a membership site. For a while, we would do kind of an open close. So we would have a period where people could sign up for a waiting list. And then we do once a quarter, we'd be able to welcome in kind of like a class, so to speak, but all the content was on demand. So it was pre-recorded courses. It was a, a forum. And then we also have deals and discounts on software for our specific niche or tools that people might be interested in. And then we do a study hall now. Like once a month, we'll get together and everybody will will join and uh, we'll talk through a specific problem and people will share and then a live Q&A. So if people have questions, they can come get their questions answered. So that's kind of the format of what it looks like now and still a membership site to this day. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I think your point about having that initial audience is just so, so critical. You know, I got an email literally this morning of this this person. They want to start info products in the tech space. They're a programmer. To them, they're saying it's a really crowded space. It's Python web development. And they're sure. like, man, there's so much here. Like, how am I going to crack into this? You know, what am I going to do? And he literally asked me if I could do an episode like end to end start with the idea, do the market research using you know, yeah. SEO tools and everything. Like what's, and to the me, was, like, what's the what's the outline? Give me the outline and I can follow it. Right. So yeah. with, with, with him, is he really needed that step-by-step process. And, and I was saying, look, you know, just because I've done this before doesn't mean I'm going to give you the right answer as to whether or not right. your niche is, is worth pursuing. Like first and foremost, like blanket statement there. But, you know, he was so concerned as to whether or not like, if he was on the right niche, if he was going to get stuck competing on price, that he didn't want to get started at all. And I think yeah. that I think that is a shame because you spin your wheels and you never actually start building the audience process to begin with. And what I what I eventually told him over email is like, listen, like, yeah, you are in this really competitive space, but here's an idea: what if you just focused on the change logs for Python web frameworks and you yeah. became the guy that published tutorials on all the new features? So that yeah, way, yeah. like. If anyone ever wanted to learn something about a brand new feature, like they go to you first. Now you do that for a year, listen to your users, listen to your readers, get some feedback on it. And then eventually what happens is that 
you can break out of that new guy like, yeah. oh, yeah, I, I'm the guy who just talks about new things. And then you could start covering other frameworks and other paradigms because you already have that that base audience. And I think what you're saying here is that that initial audience and the fact that you just need to get started is absolutely critical. Am I am I kind of yeah. understanding you correctly? 100%. And I think what it also allows you to do is pivot quicker. Like you just pick something and start with it. As you get into that, you might people might be like, oh, this is awesome, I need it. Or they might be like, hey, this is kind of awesome, but like it'd be more awesome if it was this thing. And you're able to do that quickly. And the I'll try and draw an analogy on the fly here, which is all dangerous. But I kind of imagine it as like almost it's like a video game where the goal is to deliver goods, right? And you start out with a motorcycle. You can cover a lot of ground. You can get a lot of traction. That's, I think, what it really comes down to is traction. You're not like carrying as much, but you can change quickly. You can cover a lot of ground. You can pivot. And what you're doing over time is like as you get your direction locked in, you can kind of upgrade your vehicle and go from like a motorcycle to like a really fast car. And that's going to be able to carry more. You're not going to be able to turn and pivot as much. But eventually what will happen is like, as you understand your direction, and as you understand your niche and the needs within that, you can level up to the point where you have this semi where you're able to go really fast in the right direction and carry a lot of stuff. But it takes a while to... You don't want to start with the semi because you don't know if you're going in the right direction. You're maybe kind of like pivoting and turning. You don't know if you're carrying the right stuff. But if you start super niche, if you're known for one specific thing, you can level that up over time. And it also is nice to have boundaries when you're starting. Like part of what's hard with content development is this overwhelm around, should I create content around this? Should I not? Like, is this Mm -hmm. in my niche? Is it not? So I think that's 100%. Like it, it makes a lot of sense to, to start small like that. One thing I would say, Foodblocker Pro being the anti-example of this, is I think it's helpful to start really specific within your niche, but really broad within your brand. An example of what you shouldn't do is like pythonchanges.com. Like you want to start with a brand that's generic enough that allows you to level up over time, but almost like your tagline or your your design or even just like the content can be niche. So a consideration for those who are early stages to think about, you know, really specific in your focus, really broad in your brand to allow you to continually level up over time. Yeah, that's such a good example and, and a great example of what I did wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think a so, lot of people do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I, when I started my business, PyImageSearch.com, it was building image search engines in the Python programming language, hence the mm-hmm. name PyImageSearch.com. Well, it turned out like two, three months in, I realized, hey, I am way too specific in this image search engine stuff, but I was right with Python and computer vision. And luckily, yeah. I was able to, to pivot but for like the following seven years, I was running the PyImageSearch.com brand name when uh-huh. we really hadn't done any image search content in like six or seven years. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 exactly. And, and that's why it's helpful when, when you have that generic brand where it allows you to, to have flexibility within it, but then you have that kind of focus that you're starting with. Totally. Do you have any you know advice for people who are just getting into blogging or authoring ebooks and creating online courses? Anything that you could you know suggest to them to help them get started? Yeah, I think when when you look at a market, 
I, well, I think there's something that a lot of people do when they get into something is they, they initially think, where are the areas where I can find success? You know, an example being like, it's 2017, crypto, right? Like, or even like within the last year or two, crypto, like, awesome, we got to build content around crypto. And what you're trying to do with that is like, you're trying to catch a wave. And I think there is something really valid about trying to find a wave and catch it. But I think the other thing that's important to remember is like, you have to enjoy surfing that beach as well. And I think those two things are worth being slow with. And by being slow, I mean, making sure that you're aligned with it, that you try to find a wave, meaning what's something within the industry that is that I could like be a bad surfer and still make progress with it. So you're looking for the wave, but then you're also needing to make sure that it's something that you are actually interested in spending time with for Pinch of Yum, for Food Blogger Pro. If I was also having to create the recipe content, it wouldn't be what it is now because I don't like that process. So if you are kind of a solopreneur and you're looking to do this, I think that's a really important consideration is finding the right wave and also making sure that it's something that you like to do, that you're interested in, that you can spend a lot of time with. I think the other piece that we were chatting about a little bit before is to not feel like you have to be the ultimate expert. And it doesn't mean that you that you're not an expert, but it, but it means that part of the journey is you sharing, documenting along the way, the things that you're learning and the things that you're naturally drawn towards. But you don't have to be somebody who's been doing it for 10 years. You can be somebody who's been doing something for one year that you're really passionate about and you're documenting that process along the way. And so it's permission for people who feel like they're too early to not discredit your ability to create and publish content that's helpful to people. And then the last piece within that is, you know, I think sometimes people look at it, you even alluded to this a little bit, we'll look at a market and say, what, this is like really crowded. I don't know if it makes sense to, to enter into this market. But I think it's not just about markets, it's also about personalities. And depending on the type of content that you're creating, Part of the reason why people might follow you is because of who you are, not just because of the content that you're producing, or maybe a better way to say that is like who you are within the content you're producing. And you could have five people who are all writing about, blogging about, creating videos about the same piece of content, and they're going to have the ability to build an audience because that audience is interested in that specific thing, but also because of who that person is and a connection that people have with that person. So that would be my other encouragement for people who are maybe discouraged by the idea of other things already existing because you are unique in who you are. And that's a consideration and a variable within the world of content production is who somebody is. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. People tend to think that they have to be an expert in a subject in order to teach it. And let's just say an expert, like to be considered an expert, you have to be top 1% in your field. Okay, well, let's say you are a true expert. You are really in the top 1%. The probability is high, though, that you don't remember what it's like to be a beginner. And you've actually forgotten all the mistakes that you, or the majority of the mistakes you've made as a beginner. Mm -hmm. 
And that mm-hmm. becomes really challenging to go back and teach someone without putting yourself into that proper mental framework. And I think that's mm-hmm. where someone who is intelligent, who is driven, and yeah, maybe they're not an expert, but they, they know it well enough that they can remember back to what it was like to be a beginner, to what tripped them up. And then they could call special attention to that, to their readers, to their viewers, to help them along the way. I think that is so critical. And the other point that you made that I think is just so perfect is it's not so much about a crowded niche, but also what's the personality type in there? Mm-hmm. You know, you could have a person who does create really good content, but when you email them and ask them a question, you know, they're they're a jerk in response, or you never get a mm-hmm. response. And you know, they're they're just not they're not a friendly person. Whereas if you put your best foot forward and you try and be helpful and you, you know, practice this concept of reciprocity, that makes it a lot more likely that you're going to succeed in the long run, even if that other person, that established competitor, Know, is much farther along than you are because you provide better customer service and you're just a more personable, likable human yeah, being. Totally. Yep. And and that's where I think the art of content creation comes in, which is how do you create it's it's the information you're delivering, but it's also your ability as a creator to deliver that in the most engaging way for whoever your audience is. And your audience might be you know, an example would be like busy professionals who are non-developers who want to learn how to become developers, right? So like, okay, they have 15 minutes a day, let's say. Great. How do you create a niche where your niche is like 15-minute educational content delivered to your inbox every day? The other thing that I think is a reality and a potential for people who are non-experts and even potentially beginners is to document your process of your transformation. So let's say you're not somebody who's a developer and you want to become a developer. If you go through the process of documenting, you know, day one, here's what I'm doing and here's how I'm doing it. And year three, here's the outcome. That becomes a really valuable catalog of information and a really valuable way to build an audience. And and you're not only educating yourself along the way, But the outcome of that is you have people who want to learn how to do a similar thing to what you've done. And that's really, in a lot of ways, that's the story of Finch of Yum and Food Blogger Pro. Like when we started doing these update posts, we'd say like, hey, here's last month, here's how we made $21. Like, here's what we did for advertising. Here's what we did for search engine optimization. The next month, it was here's how we made $52. And it's like, you continue to do that until it's like, here's how we made $10,000. And it's almost easier to trust the process when you can see that somebody has gone from zero to you know $1,000 or running your own agency or whatever it might be, when you can see that transformation, as opposed to somebody coming and saying like, here's why you should learn from me because I'm the ultimate master. and I'm super smart and I'm kind of feeling like I've, I've always been this way. Okay, great. But that's not like me for sure. Like, how are you like me and how can you help me get to where I want to go? And, and I think relatability is a huge piece of that. Yeah, I think that's, that's certainly true. It's almost like you're creating this, this accountability thread or a self-accountability thread, not only for, for others, but for yourself over the years mm-hmm. and over the months. So when I first started running Pi Image Search, I was part of this entrepreneur community. And like I would post in like the forums every every week and share like, 
this is what I worked on this past week. This is what I'm going to work on the next week. And here's some like business stats like revenue and, you know, page views, that type of stuff. And I did that for the first year. And then like it, the business was making enough revenue that I wasn't comfortable sharing those numbers yeah. anymore. But I continued that practice in like a private Google Doc for like literally the entire length of the business. And cool. not only is it just like really motivating, but it's it's that discipline, it's that self-accountability of, hey, here are the things that I'm going to work on this week that are just going to push yep. the business forward just a little bit. Yeah. And the culminate, it's like compounding interest. It's like the miracle, you know, eighth wonder of the world, but applied to business. Like, what are the little things that I can do this week to improve? Publish those publicly. Awesome. When it doesn't make sense to do that, awesome. Continue to do it because it, it continues to have an impact. Great. Well, I think that's a perfect place to leave it, Bjork. Thank you so much for being here and taking the time to do this show. If anyone wants to chat or connect, what's the best place to reach you at? Yeah, thanks, Adrian. Uh, people can just drop me an email, Bjork, B-J-O-R-K at tinybit.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I'll be sure to you know get you in contact with any readers who have any questions. But otherwise, thank cool. you again for being here, Bjork. Yeah, thanks, Adrian. It was really fun to chat. If you have any questions about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, send me an email at questions at infoproductmastery.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review in whatever podcatcher app you use, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Not only do these reviews help motivate me to create new episodes, but they also help other developers, educators, and entrepreneurs find the show. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.